The food at the hall was copious and sumptuous and quite probably very nearly everything else ending in us. Vimes was old enough to know that the senior staff got to eat the leftovers and therefore made certain there would be leftovers. With this in mind, he had a very large helping of haddock kedgeree and ate all four rashes of bacon on his plate. Sybil tutted about this, and Vimes pointed out that he was on holiday after all, and on holiday you did not do the things you did on other days, causing Sybil, with forensic accuracy, to point out that this should therefore include police work, should it not. But Vimes was ready, and said that of course he understood this, which was why he was going to take young Sam for a walk down to the centre of the village to put his suspicions in the hands of the local policeman. Sybil said, all right then, in deliberate tones of disbelief, and he was to be sure to take Willikins with him. This was another aspect of his wife that puzzled Vimes to the core. In the same way that Sybil thought that Nobby Nobbs, although a rough diamond, was a good watchman, she thought that Vimes was safer in the company of a man who never moved abroad without the weaponry of the street about his person, and who had once opened a beer bottle with somebody else's teeth. This was true, but in some ways very disconcerting. He heard the doorbell ring, heard the footman open the front door, heard a muffled conversation followed by somebody walking on the gravel path round the back of the hall. It wasn't important, it was just ambience, and the sound of a footman coming into the room and whispering to Sybil fell into the same category. He heard her say, What? Oh, well, I suppose you'd better show him in. Then snapped to attention when she addressed him. It's the local policeman. Can you see him in the study? Policemen never wipe their feet properly, especially you, Sam. Vimes hadn't seen the study yet. The hall never seemed to run out of rooms. By dint of being pointed the way by a swivelling maid, he arrived in the study a few seconds before the local copper was shown in by a footman, who made a face like a man having to handle a dead rat. At least, it was presumably the local copper. He looked like the local copper's son, seventeen years old, Vimes reckoned, and he smelled of pigs. He stood where the footman had deposited him and stared. After a while, Vimes said, "'Can I help you, officer?' The young man blinked. Er, "'Am I addressing Sir Samuel Vimes?' Who are you? This query appeared to take the young man by surprise, and after a while Vimes took pity on him and said, Look, son, the correct drill is to say who you are and then ask me if I am me, so to speak. After all, I don't know who you are. You're not wearing a uniform I recognise. You have shown me no warrant card or badge, and you don't have a helmet. I assume, nevertheless, and for the purposes of concluding this interview before lunchtime, that you are the chief constable in this vicinity. What's your name? Er... Uh, Upshot, sir. Feeny Upshot, er, Chief Constable Upshot. Vimes felt ashamed of himself, but this kid was representing himself as a police officer, and even Nobby Nobbs would have laughed. Aloud, he said, Well, Chief Constable Upshot, I am Sir Samuel Vimes, amongst other things, and I was thinking only just now that I should talk to you. Er, that's good, sir, because I was thinking only just now that it was about time I should arrest you on suspicion of causing the death of Jethro Jefferson the Smith. Vimes's expression did not change. So, what do I do now? Nothing, that's what. You have the right to remain silent. I've said that to hundreds of people, knowing it for the rubbish that it is, and I'm absolutely certain of one other thing, that I certainly haven't laid anything more than an educational hand on that damned blacksmith, and therefore it's going to be very interesting to find out why this little twerp thinks he can feel my collar for doing so. A copper should always be willing to learn, and Vimes had learned from Lord Vetinari that you should never react to any comment or situation until you had decided exactly what you were going to do. This had the dual attraction of preventing you from saying or doing the wrong thing, while at the same time making other people extremely nervous. 
"'Sorry about that, sir, but it took me an hour to get the pigs out and make the lock-up comfortable, sir. "'It still smells a bit of disinfectant, sir, and pig, if it comes to that. "'But I whitewashed the walls, and there's a chair and a bed you can curl up on. "'Oh, and so you don't get bored, I found the magazine.' "'He looked hopefully at Vimes, whose expression had not changed, merely calcified. "'But after a suitably long stare, Vimes said, "'Which magazine?' "'Sir, I didn't know there was more than one. "'We've always had it. It's about pigs.' It's a bit worn now, but pigs is always pigs. Vimes stood up. I'm going to go for a walk, Chief Constable. You can follow me if you like. Sorry, sir, but I've arrested you. No, son, you haven't, said Vimes, heading towards the front door. But I definitely told you that you were arrested, sir. It was almost a wail. Vimes opened the front door and started down the steps with Feeney trotting along behind him. A couple of gardeners who would otherwise have turned away leaned on their brooms at the sight, suspecting a cabaret. "'What in the world have you got on you that tells me you are an official policeman?' inquired Vimes over his shoulder. "'I have the official truncheon, sir. It's a family heirloom.' Sam Vimes stopped walking and turned. "'Well, my lad, if it's official, then you'd better let me look at it, hadn't you? Come on, hand it over.' Feeney did so. It was just an oversized blackjack, with the word law inexpertly burnt into it with maybe a poker. Good wait, though. Vimes tapped it in his palm and said, You've given me to understand that you believe that I'm potentially a murderer, and you've handed your weapon to me. Don't you think that's unwise? Vimes saw the landscape drift past as he floated over the terrace and landed on his back in a flowerbed, staring at the sky. Feeney's concerned face, somewhat overlarge, appeared in his vision. "'Sorry about that, Commander. Personally, I wouldn't hurt you for anything, but I didn't want to give you the wrong impression. That move translates as, "'One man, he up down very sorry.' Vimes watched the patch of sky above him in a state of inexplicable peace as the boy said, "'You see, my granddad worked on tall ships when he was a lad, sailing over to Bang Bang Duck at all them places where folks is so strange. When he came back, he bought my granny, Ming Chang.' "'And she taught that to my dad and to me,' he sniffed. "'She died a few months ago, but at least she taught my mum cookery too. "'Bung Ming Suck Dog is still a favourite in these parts, "'and, of course, it's not too difficult to get the ingredients, "'being so close to the sea. "'Bong Can Bang Keng doesn't grow very well round here, "'although Packed Shop Chop Muck Dick grows pretty well. "'Oh, the colour is coming back to your face, sir, I'm very pleased to say.' "'Aching at every joint, Vimes pulled himself upright.' "'Don't do that again, do you hear? "'I'll try not to do so, sir, but you are under arrest, sir. "'I told you, young man, you have not properly arrested me,' "'Vimes got to his feet, wheezing a little. "'In order to effect a legal arrest, "'the arresting officer must be physically touching the suspect "'while clearly uttering the words, "'I arrest you,' like this, although at that time you need not specify the crime of which your suspect is suspected. While so doing, and here Vimes punched the boy so hard in the solar plexus that he curled up, it pays to take care, which you are going to need to do, my lad, if you intend to arrest me, which I may point out you still have not done, which is a shame, because if you had, you would now have a clear case against me for resisting arrest, as well as assaulting a policeman in the execution of his duty.' with the proviso that nothing about you so far leads me to believe that you truly are a policeman. Vimes sat down on a handy stone and watched as Feeney began to unfold. I'm Sam Vimes, young man, so don't try that chop Sally stuff on me, understand? Now Feeney's voice was a sort of attenuated wheeze. 
and one day someone will say to you, Do you know who I am, Constable? To which you will reply, Yes, sir, or as it may be, madam, you are the person I am interviewing in connection with the aforesaid crime, or similar appropriate wording, which should not include such phrases as, You are going down, chummy, or I've got you bang to rights and no mistake. Ignore, but remember, all threats made. The law is one and immutable. It does not care who anybody is, and at that moment you in a very real way, are it, and therefore nor do you. Vimes sat with his mouth open, and Sfini continued, We don't often get the Times over here. I bought a load of pig medicine a year ago, and it was wrapped in the Times, and I saw your name when you spoke about being a policeman. It made me feel very proud, sir. Vimes remembered that speech. He'd had to write it for the passing out parade of some newly trained officers from the watch school. He'd spent hours trying to get it down, hampered by the fact that for him any form of literature was in every sense a closed book. He had shown it to Sybil and asked her whether she thought he should get somebody for helping with it, and she had patted him on the head and said, No, dear, because then it would look like something written by somebody for somebody else, whereas right now the pure vime shows through like a radiant beacon. That had quite cheered him up, because he had never been a radiant beacon before. But now his heart sank as his train of thought was interrupted by a very polite cough and the voice of Willikins, who said, "'Excuse me, Commander. I thought it right at this time to introduce the young gentleman to my friends, Mr. Burley and Mr. Strong in the arm. Lady Sybil would not be happy to see you arrested, Commander. I fear that you would find her a bit acerbic, sir.' Vimes found his voice. "'You're a bloody fool, man. Put that damn thing down. You keep it on a hair trigger. Put it down right now.' Willikins wordlessly set down the shining crossbow on the parapet of the staircase, like a mother putting her baby to bed. There was a twang, and seventeen yards away a geranium was decapitated. This passed without notice except by the geranium and a raggedy figure hiding in the rhododendrons that said snack to itself, but resolutely carried on staring at Vimes. The tableau of shock on the steps was interrupted by Lady Sybil, who could walk very quietly for a large woman. "'Gentlemen, what is going on here?' This young man, allegedly the local policeman, wishes to take me into custody on a charge of suspicion of murder, my dear. There passed between husband and wife a look that deserved the status of telepathy. Sybil stared at Feeney. Ah, you would be young upshot, I suppose. I was sorry to hear about the death of your father, and I do trust that your mother continues well. I used to visit her when I was a girl. And you want to arrest my husband, do you? Feeney, goggle-eyed, managed an unprofessional... "'Yes, ma'am,' Sybil sighed and said sternly. "'Well, then, can I hope that at least this can be done without further vegetable carnage?' She looked at Vimes. "'Is he taking you to prison?' She turned her attention back to Feeney, a man now confronted by a cannon loaded with a thousand years of upper-class self-assurance. "'He'll need fresh clothing, Constable. If you tell me where you're taking him, and you will tell me where you're taking him, I will personally bring down suitable garments.' Will I need to sew the stripes on them, or does that happen automatically? And I would be grateful if you had him back here by tea-time, because we're expecting visitors. Lady Sybil took a step forward, and Feeney took a step backwards to escape the wrath of the impending bosom. She said, May I wish you the best of luck in your undertaking, young man. You'll need it. Now, please excuse me, I have to go and talk to the cook. She swept away, leaving the incredulous Feeney staring after her. Then the doors that had just closed behind her opened again, and she said, "'Are you still a bachelor, young man?' Feeney managed to, "'Yes.' "'Then you are invited to tea,' she said cheerfully. "'There are some very eligible young ladies coming, "'and I am sure that they will be most excited to see a young man "'who is prepared to dance on the very edge of hell. "'Do wear your helmet, Sam, in case there is any police brutality. "'Willikins, come with me. I want to have a talk to you.' 
Vimes let the silence curdle. After too much of it, Feeney said, "'Your wife is a very remarkable woman, sir.' Vimes nodded. "'You have no idea. "'What do you want to do now, Chief Constable?' The boy hesitated. "'That was Sybil for you. "'Just by speaking calmly and confidently, "'she could leave you believing that the world had turned upside down "'and dropped onto your head. "'Well, sir, I believe I must take you before the magistrates.' Vimes noticed a little question mark. "'Who is your boss, Feeney?' "'The aforesaid bench of magistrates, sir.' Vimes began to walk down the steps, and Feeney hurried after him. Vimes waited until the boy was racing, and then stopped dead so that Feeney ran into him. "'Your boss is the law, Chief Constable, and don't you forget it. In fact, one of the jobs of the magistrates is to make certain that you do not. Did you ever take an oath? What did it say? Who was it to?' "'Oh, I remember that all right, sir. It was to the bench of magistrates, sir. It was what?' "'You made an oath to obey the magistrates. They can't make you do that.' He stopped. "'Remember, in the country there is always somebody watching you,' he thought, and probably listening too. Feeney looked shocked, so Vimes said, "'Get me down to your lock-up, kid, and lock me in, and while you're about it, lock yourself in with me. Don't rush, don't ask questions, and keep your voice down a apart from possibly saying things like, I have you banged to rights, you miscreant, and other rubbish of that general nature, because, young man, I believe somebody is in real difficulties here, and I believe that person is you. If you have any sense, you'll keep quiet and take me to your lock-up, OK? Eyes wide, Feeney nodded. It was a pleasant walk down to the lock-up, which turned out to be on a small quay by the river. The area had all the semi-nautical detritus that a man might expect, and there was a swing bridge, presumably to allow the bigger boats to pass. The sun shone, and nothing was happening, in a slow sort of way. And then there was the much-spoken-of lock-up. It looked like a giant pepper-pot built of stone. A flowering creeper grew up it, and, next to the door, and restrained by a chain, there was an enormous pig. When it saw their approach, it got on its hind legs, and, tottering somewhat, begged. Now this is Masher, said Feeney. His father was a wild boar, his mother was surprised. See those fangs? No one gives me much trouble when I threaten to let Masher off his lead, do they, Masher? He disappeared behind the lock-up, and returned immediately with the bucket of swill, into which Masher tried to bury himself, with hugely contented noises, as huge, in fact, as his fangs. Vimes was staring at them when a friendly-looking woman, wearing an apron, bustled out of a thatched cottage, stopped when she saw Vimes, and dropped a curtsy. She looked hopefully at Feeney. "'Who would this fine gentleman be, son?' "'It's Commander Vimes, Mum. You know, the Duke.' There was a pause while the woman clearly wished that she had been wearing a better dress, a hairdo, and shoes, and had cleaned the privy, the kitchen, the scullery, and had tidied up the garden, painted the front door, and cleaned the inside of the roof. Vimes prevented her spin from making a hole in the ground by holding out his hand and saying, "'Sam Vimes, madam, pleased to make your acquaintance.' But this only caused her to run indoors in a panic. "'My mum is very keen on the aristocracy,' Feeney confided as he unlocked the door of the lock-up with an unfeasibly large key. "'Why?' said Vimes, mystified. It was reasonably comfortable in the lock-up. Granted, the pigs had left a fragrant memory behind them, but for a boy from Ank Morpork this counted as fresh air.' Feeney sat down beside him on a well-scrubbed bench. "'Well, sir, when my granddad was young, Lord Ramkin gave him a whole half-dollar for opening a gate, just to let the hunt go by. 
According to my dad, he said, no canting hypocrite going on about the rights of man ever gave me as much a quarter farthing, so I say, here's to Lord Ramkin, who gave me a whole half dollar when he was as pissed as a fart, and never asked for it back when he was sober. That's what I call a gentleman. Vimes squirmed inside, knowing that the supposedly generous old drunkard would have had more money than you could ever imagine, and here was a working man pathetically grateful for a handout from the old piss-artist. He snarled in his soul to a man long dead, but the part of him that had been married to Sybil for years whispered, but he didn't have to give the man anything, and in those days a whole half-dollar was probably more money than the old man could imagine. Once Sybil, in one of their very infrequent arguments, had surprised him by blurting out, "'Well, Sam, my family got its start in life, its grubstake, if you like, by piracy. You should like that, Sam, good, honest manual labour, and look what it led to. The trouble with you, Sam Vimes, is that you're determined to be your very own class enemy.' "'Is there something wrong, Commander?' said Feeney. "'Everything,' said Vimes. "'For one thing, no policeman swears allegiance to the civil power. He swears allegiance to the law.' Oh, politicians can change the law, and if the copper doesn't like it, then he can quit. But while he is in the job, it's up to him to act in accordance with the law as laid down. He leaned his back against the stone wall. You do not swear to obey magistrates. I'd like to see what it was that you signed. Vimes stopped talking because the little metal plate in the lock-up door slid open to reveal Feeney's mother, looking very nervous. "'I've made bang-suck duck, Feeney, with swede and chips, and there's enough for the Duke as well, if you would be so condescending as to accept it.' Vimes leaned forward and whispered, "'Does she know you've arrested me?' Feeney shuddered. "'No, and, sir, please, please don't tell her, because I think she'd never let me into the house ever again.' Vimes walked over to the door and said to the slot, "'I shall be honoured by your hospitality, Mistress Upshot.' There was a nervous giggle from the other side of the slot, and Feeney's mother managed to say, "'I'm sorry to say we have no silver plates, Your Highness.' At home, Vimes and Sybil ate off serviceable earthenware, cheap, practical, and easy to keep clean. He said aloud, "'I'm sorry you don't have any silver plates too, Mistress Upshot, and I'll have a set sent to you directly.' There was something like a scuffle from the other side of the slot, at the same time as Feeney said, "'I beg your pardon, have you gone mad, sir?' Well, that would help, Vimes thought. We've got hundreds of damned silver plates up at the old my lad. Bloody useless. They make the food cold and they turn black as soon as your back is turned. We'd be overrun with spoons, too. I'll see what we've got. You can't do that, sir. She gets scared of having valuables in the house. Do you have much theft hereabouts, Chief Constable? said Vimes, emphasising the last two words. Mr. Feeney opened the door of the lock-up and picked up his mother, who had apparently been stunned by the possibility of owning silver plates, brushed her down and said over her shoulder, "'No, sir, the reason being no one has anything to steal. My mum always told me money can't buy you happiness, sir.' "'Yes,' Vimes thought, "'so did my ma, but she was glad enough when I gave her my first wages, because it meant we could have a meal with meat in it, even if we didn't know what kind of meat it was. That's happiness, isn't it? Blimey, the lies we tell ourselves.' When a blushing Mistress Upshot had gone to fetch the meal, Vimes said, "'Between ourselves, Chief Constable, do you believe that I'm guilty of murder?' "'No, sir,' said Feeney instantly. "'You said that very quickly, young man. "'Are you going to say that it's copper's instinct? "'Because I get the impression you ain't been a copper long "'and haven't had much to do. "'I'm no expert, but I don't reckon pigs try lying to you very much either.' Feeney took a deep breath. "'Well, sir,' he said calmly, "'my granddad was a wily old bird, "'and he could read people like books. "'He used to walk me around the area, "'introducing me to people, sir, "'and then as they strolled along he'd tell me their stories.' 
like the one about the man who'd been caught in flagrante delicto with a common barnyard fowl. Vimes listened open-mouthed as the pink, well-scrubbed face talked about the gentle, fragrant landscape, as if it was populated by devils from the most invidious pit. He unrolled a crime sheet that badly needed the laundry. No major murders, just nastiness, silliness, and all the crimes of human ignorance and stupidity. Of course, where there were people, there was crime. It just seemed out of place in the slow world of big spaces and singing birds. And yet, he'd smelled it as soon as he was here, and now he was in the middle of it. "'You get a tingle,' said Feeney. "'That's what my dad told me. He said, "'Watch, listen, and keep your eye on every man. There never was a good policeman who didn't have a slice of villain somewhere in him, and this will call to you. It will say, "'This man has something to hide,' or "'This man is far more frightened than he should be.' or this man is acting too cocky by half because underneath he's a bag of nerves. It will call to you. Vimes opted for admiration rather than shock, but not too much admiration. Well, Mr. Feeney, I reckon your grandfather and your dad got it right. So I'm sending the right signals, am I? No, sir, none at all, sir. My granddad and my dad could go like that sometimes, totally blank. It makes people nervous. Feeney cocked his head on one side and said, Just a moment, sir, I think we have a little problem. The door to the lock-up clanged open as Chief Constable Upshot skidded around the rear of the squat little building. Something yelped and squealed, and then Vimes, sitting peacefully inside, suddenly had goblins on his lap. In fact, it was only one goblin, but one goblin is more than sufficient at close quarters. There was the smell to begin with, and not to end with either, because it appeared to permeate the world. Yet it wasn't the stink, although heavens knew that they stank with all the stinks an organic creature could generate. No. Anyone who walked the streets of Ankh-Morpork was more or less immune to stinks, and indeed there was now a flourishing, if that was the word, hobby of stink-collecting. It was all a mystery to Vimes, who was absolutely sure that it was impossible to tell the difference between a chicken fart and a turkey fart, but there were those who professed to be able to do so, and he was glad that such people had chosen this outlet for their puzzling inclinations rather than, for example, fill their sink with human skulls collected in the high street. And Dave, of Dave's Pin and Stamp Emporium, was extending the sign over his shop again. You couldn't bottle, or whatever it was the collectors did, the intrinsic smell of a goblin, because it wasn't so much a stink as a sensation, the sensation, in fact, that your dental enamel was evaporating and any armour you might have was rusting at some speed. Vimes punched at the thing, but it hung on with arms and legs together, screaming in what was theoretically a voice that sounded like a bag of walnuts being jumped on and yet it wasn't attacking unless you considered the biological warfare. It clung with its legs and waved its arms, and Vimes just managed to stop Feeney braining it with his official truncheon, because once you paid attention, the goblin was using words, and the words were, Ice, ice, we want just ice. Demand, demand just ice. Right, just ice. Feeney, on the other hand, was shouting, "'Stinky, you little devil! I told you what I'd do to you if ever I saw you stealing the pig's will again!' He looked at Vimes as if for support. "'They can give you horrible diseases, sir!' "'Will you stop dancing around with that damn weapon, boy?' Vimes looked down at the goblin, now struggling in his grasp, and said, "'As for you, you little bugger, stop your racket!' The little room went silent, apart from the dying strains of, "'They eat their own babies!' from Feeney, and, "'Just ice!' from the goblin, simply and accurately named as Stinky. Not panicking now, the goblin pointed a claw at Vimes's left wrist, looked him in the face, and said, "'Just ice!' It was a plea. The claw tugged at his leg. 
Just ice! The creature hobbled to the door and looked up at the glowering chief constable, and then turned to Vimes with an expression that bored into the man's face, and said, very deliberately, Just ice, Mr. Policeman! Vimes pulled out his snuff-box. You could say this for the brown stuff. All that ceremony you went through before you took a pinch gave you rather more thinking time than lighting a cigar. It also got people's attention. He said, Well now, Chief Constable, here is somebody asking you for justice. What are you going to do about it? Feeney looked uncertain and took refuge in a certainty. It's a stinking goblin. Do you often see them around the lock-up? said Vimes, keeping his tone mild. Only stinky, said Feeney, glaring at the goblin who stuck out his worm-like tongue. He's always hanging around. The rest of them know what happens if they're caught thieving around here. Vimes glanced down at the goblin and recognised a badly set broken leg when he saw one. He turned the snuff-box over and over in his hands and did not look at the young man. But surely a policeman wonders what has happened for a wretched thing like this to walk right up to the law and risk being maimed again. It was a leap in the dark, but hell he had leapt so often that the dark was a trampoline. His arm itched. He tried to ignore it, but just for a moment there was a dripping cave in front of him, and no other thought except of terrible endless vengeance. He blinked, and the goblin was tugging at his sleeve again, and Feeney was getting angry. "'I didn't do that! I didn't see it done! But you know it happens, yes!' And again Vimes remembered the darkness and the thirst for vengeance. In fact, vengeance itself made sapient and hungry. And the little bugger had touched him on that arm— it all came back, and he wished that it hadn't, because while all coppers must have a bit of villain in them, no copper should walk around with a piece of demon as a tattoo. Feeney had lost his anger now, because he was frightened. Bishop Scour says they're demonic and insolent creations, made as a mockery of mankind, he said. I don't know about any bishops, said Vimes, but something is going on here, and I can feel the tingle. Felt it on the day I came here, and it's tingling on my land. Listen to me, Chief Constable. When you apprehend the suspect, you should take the trouble to ask them if they did it, and if they say no, you must ask them if they can prove their innocence, got it? You're supposed to ask, understand? And my answers are, in order, hell no, and hell yes. The little clawed hand scratched at Vimes's shirt again. Just eyes! Vimes thought. Oh, well, I thought I'd been gentle with the lad up until now. Chief Constable. Something is wrong, and you know that something is wrong, and you are all alone, so you'd better enlist the help of anyone you know that can be trusted, such as me, for example, in which case I'll be the suspect who, having been bailed on my own recognizance of one penny, and here Vimes handed a partly corroded small copper disc to the astonished Feeney, has been requested to help you with your inquiries, such as they are, and that will all be fine and dandy, and in accordance with the standard work on police procedure, which, my lad, was written by me, and you had better believe it. I'm not the law. No policeman is the law. A policeman is just a man, but when he wakes up in the morning, it is the law that is his alarm clock. I've been nice and kind to you up until now, but did you really think I was going to be spending the night in a pig pen? Time to be a real copper, lad. Do the right thing and fudge the paperwork afterwards like I do. Vimes looked down at the persistent little goblin. Okay, Stinky, lead the way. But my old mummy's just coming out with your dinner, Commander. Feeney's voice was a wail, and Vimes hesitated. It didn't do to upset an old mum. It was time to let the Duke out. 
Vimes never normally bowed to anybody, but he bowed to Mistress Upshot, who almost dropped her tray in ecstatic confusion. I am mortified, my dear Mistress Upshot, to have to ask you to keep your man-dog suck po warm for us for a little while, because your son here, a credit to his uniform and to his parents, has asked me to assist him in an errand of considerable importance, which can only be entrusted to a young man with integrity as your lad here. As the woman very nearly melted in pride and happiness, Vimes pulled the young man away. Sir, the dish was bang-suck duck. We only have man-dog-suck-po on Sundays, with mashed carrots. Vimes turned back, shook Mrs. Upshot warmly by the hand, and said, I look forward to tasting it later, my dear Mistress Upshot, but if you'll excuse me, your son is a stickler for his police work, as I'm sure you know.'